0: Welcome to oh, hey. Great Shot. This is the Great Shot Podcast, a Crack Rackets Antenna Channel Podcast Network production. My name is Alex Gruskin. On today's show, we've got another edition of The Deciding Point, our weekly breakdown of everything that happens throughout the course of the Division I college tennis season. Of course, here on this edition of the show, we break down all the Division I men's action and some of you tuning in via our Crack Rackets YouTube live stream will see I have a hotel background here on my screen. That's because I'm currently in Seattle, which, of course, will be the host site for this weekend's Division I Women's National Indoor Championships. You'll be able to follow coverage from First ball to last over on our Crack Rackets YouTube channel. It will be myself, Perry Schein, and steering all of the action. If you are a college tennis fan, you do not want to miss out on this weekend. I call it my favorite weekend of the college tennis season. Pound for pound, the most, the most jam-packed and most efficient. Best weekend of action we will see in the college tennis world. So, again, that coverage starts tomorrow, Friday, February 10th, 12 p.m. Eastern time. We hope all of you will join us. With that said, we've already previewed all of the round of 16 matches on the women's side of things. We still, though, had a jam-packed week of action in the men's college tennis world. And that, of course, is going to be the focus here on today's show. We appreciate all of you listeners who are patient in winning for us to release this episode. Obviously, it's a day later than we typically record that's due to the fact that there was some travel to Seattle this week. Nevertheless, jam packed week of men's college tennis action as we try to figure out who's good, who's not, who are the teams to watch as we approach the men's indoors in Chicago next weekend. And with a jam packed week of college tennis action in the rear view mirror, I figured let's bring in the big gun to help me recap all of the action. The man who will be joining me each and every week on this show this season joins me once again here tonight. Of course, you. You all know him best as the forefather of the college tennis ranks formula predictions, never far from the listed UTR, one of the many dames to root for the Liberty Flames. Of course, now we call him the professor, the lean, mean, vegan machine. But after last night's performance in that Baylor TCU match, maybe we call him our head play-by-play commentator here at Crack Rackets. It's our dear friend Chris Hallioris joining us once again. Chris, hey. Great shot! Welcome back. Have your voice vocal cords, I should say, recovered? How are you feeling?
1: Yeah, well, I mean, the vocal cords are fine. I certainly don't know about any of the head play-by-play. It's a, you know, I knew it was a different world going in. I don't have the uh, the Gruskin gift for gab, if you will. So, uh, yeah, that you know, trying trying to fill all that time. It's a it's a different world than just uh, you know throwing comments in on top of yours every now and then.
0: Yeah. Welcome to life steering the ship. Um, I do want to ask you, did you have the same phenomenon, same feeling I experienced where let's not forget the very first national indoors we called here at Cracked Rackets? It was myself, Chris Halliores, broadcasting Will Blumberg's North Carolina team. We've gone full circle. Our first pod, we probably talked about him. He's now joining us in the commentary booth. How weird was that for you? Because it was terrifying for me.
1: Yeah, that was pretty crazy. But I, I, all I kept thinking was, man, I got to watch what I say because Will's like, you know, he's going to call me out on like, no, that's terrible, Chris. You don't do that.
0: Yeah, that's funny. No, it's always a pleasure to be joined by the only 10 time All-American in college tennis history and a major thank you to you and Will for obviously calling that match one we will discuss here today uh, as we were fortunate enough to be able to broadcast that yesterday on our Crack Rackets YouTube channel. I. Do see the comment section of this YouTube stream already rocking and rolling. A couple of things to address. First of all, I appreciate your surprise, Archit, at my hotel room background. I will point out, John Parsons, you are incorrect. My bed right now is currently made, but I didn't make it. Obviously, it's when I slipped out to the National indoors. Someone came in and did their thing here in this room. But, uh, yeah, again – we are really excited for this weekend's action. We hope all of you will take the time to join us, interact with us during our broadcast this weekend. We hope you continue to interact with us today as, again, we're going to run you through all the major action that's happened across the Division One men's college tennis world over the past week. And then at the end of the show, of course, we'll unveil our latest edition, our Cracked Rackets Top 10. We'll talk about the men's matches in the week ahead as well as, yes, women's college tennis takes center stage, but still plenty of fun men's battles to keep an eye on before of course we get to any of that got to give a couple of shout outs to the sponsors who support this show of course first and foremost a massive thank you to our newest sponsor our friends at ls now i have my ls sweatshirt somewhere here in my hotel room i actually wore it on site today Jamie Ashworth, head coach of the Duke women's tennis team, comes up to me. He says, Alex, this is the most fashionable you've ever looked. I said, I agree. I said, is it the blue jeans? It's like I'm not typically wearing real pants. He says, no, it's the hoodie. The hoodie is old school impressive, to which I said, I don't know what that means, but thank you. I'll take it. And look, if Jamie Ashworth is saying it, all these other coaches and players and just about anyone we've come across, whether it was at the Cleveland Challenge or here this weekend, everyone's in on this LS gear, you can be as well. Learn more about our newest supporting partners by clicking on the link in the description to this episode. Of course, we're also massively grateful to welcome back our dear friends at Swing Vision. All of you know Swing Vision at the forefront of all artificial intelligence innovations happening within our sport. And it's the most efficient way to improve in the quickest way possible. You download the Swing Vision app. You use it every time you hit. It'll record all of your sessions for you. It'll break down the film for you eventually they're going to have automated line calling for all of us as well simply put the swing vision app is the future learn more by clicking on the link in the description to this podcast when you do inevitably purchase it use our promo code crack 20 to get a discount and let them know we sent you there but with all of that said chris it's time for us to talk about the college tennis that's happened on the men's side over the course of the past week. And I won't lie, when I was coming up with today's outline, there were a bunch of different directions I wanted to turn to. But I think the place we have to start is twofold. Because this team not only had some significant results over the past week, they had some significant news emerge for them as well. Of course, I'm referring to our defending national indoor champions, the TCU Horned Frogs, who not only go 3 and know, beating three top 15 teams over the course of the past week. But perhaps most importantly for the horn Frogs moving forward, they get their superstar freshman eligible. Jack Pennington Jones, former top 500 player in the world, he will be eligible to play in this 2023 college tennis season? That was a major question mark. And just about every coach we talked to, Chris, was fairly certain that this was not going to happen for Jack Pennington Jones. But ultimately, and we'll get into those details in a little bit, he does play at the number two single spot against Baylor. Now, for what it's worth, he drops that match. But still, the additional depth he gives these Horn Frogs, a team that already knocks off TCU, UNC, and Baylor, you know and now Baylor over the course of the past week and for what it's worth they go on the road 4-3 win at Chapel Hill I know coach Rodidi was saying I think it's their first win in Carolina since 1998 they obviously get a very good win on the road at Tennessee as well 4-1 win there and then the road win at Baylor which is one of the most difficult environments to play in 4-1 as well chris this TCU team's the real deal and they're healthy They've got options with Pennington Jones now eligible. They are firmly ensconced in the national championship conversation, are they
1: not? Yeah, firmly ensconced is an understatement. I mean, they have to be. prop. you know, I don't know how you don't make them the leading favorite at the moment. I mean, look, we've talked about it before. Always an issue, it, one guy or another, but several of the guys on the team have had had some injury slash health issues in the past, and. That's almost always our biggest concern with TCU especially when they only run 6-7 deep. Now they're 8 deep with Pennington Jones. We we kind of had one guy uh who you know it was always a question of who's the one out. Now they get to sit two and I mean yeah, they're they're going to be definitely very very difficult to deal with. They they are as deep as anybody and and probably healthier than we've seen them at this point of the year, you know, in past years Maybe they've gotten there through the season, but always early on, somebody's fighting something. Right now, everyone's available. So uh, it's a coach's decision at this point. Well, to your point, they're healthy and they
0: have depth that they haven't had in the past. And this was a team that all due respect to Tim Rule, they were seven deep last year, right? You knew Maxted or Jirasek, one of those guys was going to be playing at the sixth spot. This team is now deep everywhere, one through four. You know, again, who good luck having the conversation with one of Jake Fernley or Luke Famba or JPJ or Sander Jong hey you're playing four today like okay that's a fun conversation and then you're telling one of Maxted, junior Wimbledon doubles champion Seb Gorsny, Pedro Vives who's been a top 100 uh 500 player and clinched last year's national indoor title or uh Louis Maxted. like hey two of you aren't playing today in singles, by the way, what the hell are they going to do with their doubles lineup? Because they already have two top 10 teams, certainly Famba uh, and Max that and John, you have Seb Gorsny, who's obviously a junior Wimbledon champion, the reigning junior Wimbledon champion who's played really well with Vivas, but you're telling me Pennington Jones, not going to find a way to crack the doubles lineup as well. Like you're right. I didn't do it justice in the framing. This team was already ensconced in the national championship conversation. They may have elevated themselves to the number one spot. And again, Chris, what they did over the course of the past week on the road, they take doubles at TC, uh at Tennessee. They take doubles at Baylor. They take doubles at North Carolina. And then, you know, again, in Carolina, it's three-five-six. In the Baylor matches, TCU goes ahead and gets wins at the uh one three and five spot against Tennessee for this team. TCU got wins at one, two, uh, five, at one, two, five, and six. Uh, Excuse me. So no, 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 sorry. Two, five, and six. All that is to say, it's been different players. It's been different pathways. Like everything is open to this team now, is it not? That's the
1: scariest part. Yeah, uh, yeah, that is, you know, the the question now, and I'm sure because Pennington's been there, it's not like he just showed up to school, so he's gotten some reps. They know who he might have chemistry with in doubles and what they might do there. But at the same time, yes, they haven't played any matches, so you want to see it. You want to see it work out for real. But yeah, it, it brings in a lot of questions, but it brings in a ton of options. Mm-hmm. It's it's
0: honestly, it might be the toughest lineup to figure out one through eight, just who plays where in the country. That is seriously the sort of depth this team now has. And, you know, again, I want to stay on the tennis side before we get to the eligibility side. To you, when you look at this TCU team, what roster are you employing as you look towards the national indoors?
1: Man, Well, obviously, you know. Let's have
0: some fun. Let's speculate. Is this our first edition of Speculation Jones of 2023?
1: Yeah. Oh, I think so. I think so. Uh, I mean, yeah. well, we saw. Look, what I thought was interesting last night is that you know Baylor expected to see a a Famba versus Miladinovic match at three. What they didn't ex- What they expected to see was that it was at three because Sander Jong was at two. Now all of a sudden, Sander Jong's at four. That's huge. So what they effectively did was they swapped. Famba and Jong, and it would have been Famba two, Jong three insert Pennington Jones. They slide back down. So Famba did get elevated. You kind of expect to see that, especially indoors. I mean, and he was nothing short of what exactly what you expect to see from him indoors. Big bomb serve, serve plus one forehand. Uh, I mean, this the game you expect. He's got to stay at least that high. Now you get into the questions of, well, Pennington Jones lost his first match, but come on, Will and I talked about in the broadcast, it's his first match. It's the first match he's ever played for a quote unquote team where all the guys are, you know, he's not out there playing his own match in a in a futures or a challenger. Now he's out there playing almost probably not even thinking about whether he's winning or losing, but my gosh, this is my first match in college and all these guys are counting on me. I'm playing for them. That's a different sort of pressure. Uh, and you take you a couple matches to get through that, but do you leave? You know, what do you? Uh, yeah, I don't know what you do there. Do you do you leave him there? Do you slide him up? Do you slide Famba in front of him and pull him all the way down to three? I don't know. Uh, I I don't think we're gonna see. I think Jong Famba's clearly up and not going back down for indoors. Jong should be four. That's a ridiculous. I mean, who's beating Sander Jong at four? Uh, I mean, come on. Uh yeah and then and then you just have all the open questions. You got Viva. you got Max you got Gorsney. I mean you, uh, you you got guys coming out the Wazoo to play at, at 5 and 6 at that point. So I don't know. They're good.
0: They're good. And let's just address the question because everyone obviously is asking how does Jack Pennington Jones get eligible? Well, let's be clear. This isn't a 2005 Baylor situation. It's not like we have a 28-year-old ringer coming in to do his six months after, you know, an extended pro career that maybe didn't quite go the way he was hoping for. Jack Pennington-Jones is still a 19-year-old kid. Like, Jack Pennington-Jones has been on campus since September. And this gets back to something we talked about in our preview podcast. And I think and there were other schools who were, by the way, TC was not the only uh, school where Jack Pennington Jones paid a visit to during his recruiting time. All of these coaches went about trying to get Jack on their roster because they thought he might have a pathway towards eligibility. And knowing a bit more about the situation as I do now, it is worth mentioning. You know, they brought in outside counsel. They had non TCU compliance office lawyers working on this case for Jack. And, you know, there were statements looking back. Did you take any prize money? Because it was very well known Jack had signed with an agent. And that's typically persona non grata. But he hadn't taken the money. That, you know, the money did end up adding up. And, you know, again, he didn't come over in January, he came over at the start. Of this year. He's been on campus. This is a guy who was a top 500 teenager who the LTA lined the resources up for and said, Hey, we're ready to back you if you're ready to give this thing a go. And he wasn't. And he wanted to go play college tennis because he wanted to go be a kid. He wanted to go be a part of a team. You know, he wasn't allowed to practice with the team until like mid-October. And so he has to go find his own hits. He has to go find his own equipment, all these different things. Now, I'm sure they found ways to make it somewhat comfortable for him on campus. But like a 19-year-old saying, I'm not ready to turn professional. I want to go to college. I understand there will be. Some frustrated coaches to see him eligible. Certainly what it does for TCU big picture. How could you not be competitively frustrated? But was this entirely kosher, Chris? In my mind, the answer is yes. Like he's a teenager who wanted to go to college. That's what this game is supposed to provide. I have no issues with it. What say you?
1: Well, I'll say this. I don't know the details of the inside and probably some coaches either know better or think they know better. I'll I'll say this. If everything's on the up and up, the biggest issue I think that most people will have is simply the timing of things. It just takes so long to get to work through the eligibility process. So there are other coaches out there right, that have kids that they're trying to get eligible, et cetera. And, you know, and that's more the issue. Right. I think we need to work. It's the inconsistencies. It's that your
0: eligibility process is different than mine.
1: Yeah, I think I I think. And again, you know, I don't know the inner workings of the NCA, how many people they have working in compliance, et cetera. But it sort of feels like you could get yourself a lot closer to a fairly self-governing situation if you just said, hey, You've got a kid that has eligibility question marks. You provide all of the details in the paperwork that you believe make him eligible. We will review to make sure it's all there. And if it is, we'll go ahead and say, OK, fine. He can play. We haven't audited yet. It's now on you that if we audit and you play him and we find out, no, he didn't pass. You're forfeiting every bit of that and opening yourself up to, you know, potential NCA violations and penalties which will that brings in what I would call the self-governing option of no one's going to want to stretch it too far for fear of, you know, having to have live with the penalties of forfeited matches, NCA violations and probably, you know, contract issues with their school as the head coach. So uh, yeah, I think that's the bigger issue. If everything, you know, beyond that is sort of Yes, they verified that the money situation was OK, like they have to do with everybody that's played and taken money in in, in tournaments, just like, you know, you would have had to do with Sam Riffis when he played in the U.S. Open with Ben Shelton. Had he come back and uh, after playing in the U.S. Open, all of that, uh, you know, has to be done for all of those guys anyway. If all of that was cleared and on the up and up, then then, uh, yeah, I'm OK with it. It's just, yeah, I wish there was not this whole he should have been eligible right from the get-go. Why? Yeah. Why not? You know, why is it four o'clock on a match day against interstate rival Baylor, where all of a sudden he's eligible? To that point, literally, he gets
0: the call in his dorm room. They say, "Get in a car. You're coming to play yesterday." So, for him to not play his best tennis, I don't think that should be shocking to anyone who knows that context. Now, literally, gets the
1: call in his dorm room. Hop in a car. Head yeah, Four, to Baylor's four o'clock yeah. p.m. match day, and the match is at six o'clock in Waco. Bravo! And well, like, yeah, you, and hey, you're like, eligible. You'll get, buddy, get over here For
0: singles. No, it's it's crazy. And to your point, why other coaches would be frustrated? Okay, if he's eligible, get my guy eligible. Um, I agree with that. I also think we all agree, particularly as it relates to tennis, and it's hard to make rule specific sports as it relates to the NCAA. But the prize money rules bullshit. Sorry, Westhoff, but it just is. It's absolute bullshit because tennis is different. These guys are making seven k playing. 13 events, and you're going to tax them for that and make this eligibility issue so difficult. I get it. You don't want 27-year-olds abusing the collegiate tennis system. But that's not what this is. We all see. This is, again, a teenager coming to play college because he's not ready to turn pro. And so that's where I would leave things on this TCU note. Yeah. I do oh yeah, final word to you on this.
1: Well I was gonna say to to that front for the folks that, that don't know out there, the the you know, you bring up a good point. You're talking about the whole 27 year old, you know, maybe it's the Chris Wanky type thing, right? Where yeah. you're bringing in a guy that's Chris been Chris Wanky, you are old. Yeah, well I mean yeah the 27 year old Florida State quarterback yeah, right course. coming in. But uh you know the NCA sort of took In a different angle from the money part of it that we're talking about, they took care of that with rules stating like, you know, you have there are rules now in place that say once you leave high school, you have so long to come in, you know, and there are exceptions for people like you you will see in countries such as, say, Israel, where you go and do a national military stint. You get you get exempt for that. You can go do your military stint. And that's why you may see guys coming in uh, at, you know, 22 years old because they had to do that. But outside of that, you can't just leave high school if, you know, Jack could not have gone, left high school five years ago, tried to play pro and then gone Nope, didn't work out. I think I'm going to come to college. You can't do that anymore. So so that's a separate issue, and they exactly. addressed that. Now we're simply down to the money aspect.
0: Very well said. I appreciate you clarifying that. With those facts in mind, I want to look on the flip side of these TC results quickly. Baylor beats Florida State. Good win over Arizona State team. I still think, yes, they lost tough matches at home this week to Michigan and TCU. I think if you're Coach Woodson and the Bears, you're feeling pretty good. Like, yeah, you knew, you know, again— the corners, I say one in six. And I say that lovingly, there's no clear cut options right now. Musa has fought his tail off. Uh, obviously they continue to figure out who goes where in that number one spot, but like Velts, I think will be the number one player by the end of the roster, uh, end of the year. I'm all in on the lefty, obviously Parolek, Miladinovic, Finn, Wompy, even going five sets, but playing a little better against Gorsny, this Baylor team's top 16. Good. Like, and I know that's not the standard they set for themselves, but there's not a doubt in my mind. They will be hosting the first two rounds of the NCAA regional. Do you think they can make a top
1: eight push? They could. And I'll even take slight exception to what you said. You probably don't expect this coming from me. I think six is fine. Yeah. Okay. Uh, I mean, I've had no I mean, Ethan's played great at six yeah, he fights. I agree. He beat Swenson. He was doing great yesterday. That's not, I, I just think, and again, it's not, it's not Finn. It's not, it, it doesn't matter who it is. They are simply just going to be a little undermanned at one, wherever they, wherever they, where you lose Boyton, who was your clear one. You didn't really have a guy that was, uh you know, that's going to compete at the, at the top levels with those top eight programs at one day in day out on any given match. Sure. Maybe you get, you can get that performance from somebody, but on a day in day out long haul, yeah, that's going to be a tough spot for them. But no, I think, I don't think the, I don't think Baylor's probably too terribly disappointed about the way they look right now. I think your characters, characterization is accurate. They're not a, not, they're not in that, The small tier that we have that goes, you know, five, six deep of current national title contenders. But they're right there in that next group of the, say, six or seven through, you know, 15 that could all be battling for the final couple top eight spots and making trying to make a quarterfinal push.
0: Perfectly said. I would also throw North Carolina in that conversation now. I think they've got a very experienced and just straight up good. Top two Cernock Segerman, who get wins over TCU 6 4 in the third. That was after they each dropped three set matches against South Carolina. Still no Logan Zap. Exactly. And, you know, again, they've their two losses at South Carolina 4 3, 4 3 to a TCU team who was San's JPJ. But we just talked about they are in that inner circle of national championship contenders. Pretty solid doubles
1: point. Like, North Carolina's good. I, I like, I just think they're good. Yeah, fair. Absolutely. Yeah. I, 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 I didn't see all of our rankings. I don't know if I'm the only one. I put them in my top 10 this week. Wow. That's spicy. I don't think I was quite there yet because. I I slid them in at 10. I had a lot of questions and I went, wow. I, I, at least I'm pretty sure I did. I, I was like, I, I'm, I think they deserve to be there. All right. Is Tennessee still in your second tier? I mean, they are just because they have the talent if they get there, but out you know get past the talent and everything else is a complete disaster right now so i have no faith that they that they're going to get there but you know anytime you have the talent it's up to the guys to find it right i mean they're very capable of going hey guys we're a team we want to do this let's do it and not be the complete you know s show that we are and and if they get there then yes they're dangerous but not right now no I
0: like their doubles pairings. I do. Like I like I think they have found their three teams. Monday and Harper makes so much sense at 1. Hud and Diaz good combo. Mitsui Rodriguez they're figuring out at 3. It's just not clicking right now in singles. Like Monday's playing well he's the only one who's playing well right now. And that's the glass half full of your Tennessee's. It's just like, we are not playing well and they're starting to work in Prada seeing how healthy he is. I do think Diaz will be one of those five and six spots. And it comes down to, will it be Prada? Will it be Kozlov? Will it be someone else? Yeah. They're still tier two. They're too talented. And let's roll the balls out and see when we get the juices of the indoors flowing. If this team maybe responds in just a different way, because this is a very veteran group and you wonder if they will be able to get up for the biggest moments in ways maybe they haven't quite yet, and that will be the wake-up call. But, I mean, 4-1 in Knoxville is just not a result you would have seen over the last two years. I don't care if it's TCU. I don't care if it's Ben Shelton's
1: Florida teams. I don't yeah, care who it is. It doesn't matter who it is. At yeah. home in Knoxville, and you're a top five talent-wise doors. you just yeah. don't lose at home, indoors, 4-1 to anybody, period.
0: Or Or three straight set matches. That doesn't happen. And, like, again, it was just I'm with, it's going to happen. There's Tennessee's going on a run this year. It just hasn't happened yet. They're going to make you work for it a little bit longer, but that's all things related to TCU. Let's move on now to Chris's neck of the woods, little sec pac 12 challenge talk, because that was, I think your second most uh, significant, I suppose, course of events we saw over the course of the past weekend. And was it the prettiest tennis? No. Did we get to see all of it? No, shout out to the rain. That said, what we do see is a USC team that we said at the start of the year. They're deep. They're scrappy. They've got a lot of familiar faces. And even San's incoming freshman learner, TN, this USC team picks up two really good wins over the weekend 4 two over Georgia. And then honestly, maybe more impressively is the five, two over Florida. And we're going to get to Florida in a second because I have a lot of questions about them for you, Chris. But let's start with these Trojans. We had them as that defining team of tier two, where they were just outside the national championship fringe conversation, but you know, probably too good to be considered in tier two of seven through fifteen. Now, with the addition of Lerner, we we feel like that may propel them forward certainly. But even without him, Chris, I've really liked the depth on this team. You bring in the big gun in Stephonasnick at the number one spot. You feel like you have the best player on the court in every match that you're going to play against any team that you are playing. Beyond that, though, it's the experience: Mock, Merrick, Colby, Westray, Fry, like um, all the options they have. I forget who the transfer from UCLA is, but Carly. they just got got. Yeah,
1: they've got guys. They've got depth. This team is tier one to me. What do you think? Absolutely. I I you know, I'm waiting for you to unveil our rankings this week. Uh, for you <laughs> know, I'm sure most folks know by now we consolidate amongst several of us all of our rankings to come up with our crack rackets average. I've got them at five. So obviously they're tier one to me. Yeah. Well said. I mean, look, the thing that was so impressive
0: against Florida, they dropped the doubles point and I don't think it was the cleanest tennis that they've played all year long. And yet straight set wins at one, two, three and five. And it was Dostinic, Mock, Merrick and Colby. So Dostinic and the sophomores like. That's a, that's a pretty sexy recipe. And the same time you look again in the four two match over Georgia, they did it a little bit differently. Yes. They dropped the doubles point again, but actually shout out to them. They get it at one, they get it at two, they get it at three, they get it at five. They were also leading at the number six spot when play ended uh, when match was clinched. Excuse me. I mean, again, like Peter mock, I watched him uh, during kickoff weekend against UCLA it looks better. Like it, the ball's just not hanging as much as it did for him last season. He's playing more confidently. Woj is the real deal. Brian Colby might win the worst body language, best result award. But like there are times when he's just standing there. So nonchalantly on court, but then it's like, yeah, but I'm up six, three, four, one. So like, relax everyone. Um, and then like, if you're telling me West straights, you're, you're six, like, I may beat you at six if you're an opponent of the USC Trojans, but it's going to take me at least two hours. Like, I just, and we don't, we haven't it, even seen Lerner
1: yet. Like, yeah, that, that, Jesus. that's just a match that's never going to finish. I mean, it'll be <laughs> an unfinished, the, the guy's going to have like five finished matches on the year. Uh, yeah, poor kid. Yeah. No, look, I, the, 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 the big thing for me on USC, and that's part of the reason that I, I put them as high as, as I did is, I honestly don't see anywhere for them to go from here, but up. I I mean, those guys, they're they're not getting any worse in singles. We know what Steph is. Mock looks great. Look, we haven't seen Lerner yet. We're going to see him at some point. That's going to make the singles lineup better. It will probably make the doubles lineup better. They lost the doubles point both weekends. You can't go down from there. I mean, everything about you know the the points they can put on the board can only get better from at this point. So I don't I don't see how you can't be super optimistic. Yes, coach Macy's not happy about losing two doubles points at the same time. Big picture, you go, wow, we dropped two doubles points and you know, yes, a little you know, you could argue maybe a little close, but let's be honest. They won both of those matches pretty easily. Uh I mean, it got there were moments where it got a little t- tense or tight maybe But I don't think, and you know, it wasn't ever really in doubt. They're just, they just were too good in singles for everybody else. Mm -hmm. And by the way,
0: right now in the guy power rankings, I think Steph's in the lead. I think he's the guy through the first month of the 2023 season, but of course we still haven't had the indoors. So that's when we really start to figure things out. No, I agree. It's perfectly said. It's like, this is their floor. And their floor is top eight in the country. And What's their ceiling when they get Lerner in that lineup? That's what I think all of us are excited to see. And, yeah, you're right. Like, they got to play around with doubles. We know what Fry and Dostanik are. They also have Sam Rubel in that lineup. You wonder, will they start to switch things around? Will they break up that Dostanik-Fry pairing, even though they set a really great energy at the top of the lineup? We'll see. Obviously, the Trojans are going to play Michigan this weekend. I think they got one more on the road as well. I'm blanking what their second away match is, but I know it's also a pretty tough one back to back. I think it's Kentucky, actually, maybe is who they're playing back to back. Whomever it may be, we'll get to that in the week ahead. But yeah, look, good weekend for the Trojans, undefeated going into. National uh, going into this weekend, and you know certainly should have solidified themselves the top eight seed by now. Come the national indoors. That said, other three teams in the Pac-12, SEC challenge: Stanford, Florida, Georgia. Stanford gets the four-one win over Florida, and you just feel like Stanford desperately needed that sort of victory for them to drop the doubles point, but get straight set wins from Ferry from Basing, from Banerjee, from Basavoretti at the number four spot as well. Again, that's a match we're devastated we didn't get the chance to see because we're all curious how healthy that wrist is for Nishesh. But, like, for a Stanford team that struggled throughout the course of the kickoff weekend, oh, my God, did they need this. Just, like, a clean cut, we beat a good team and we beat them solidly.
1: Yeah, yeah, we were having a little, you know, group text going on there on day 1 of this challenge when it looked like and now Stanford made a good push, didn't close it out uh against Georgia, but the the thought at that point was boy looking at their schedule outside I think Texas left in non-conference other than indoors after that a a loss to Florida for them would have been disastrous from the stand, not from the standpoint that they they lose to Florida, but from the standpoint of they would have gone zero and two uh, against the SEC in that SEC challenge, leaving only effectively indoors Texas and then a conference schedule that doesn't give a lot of opportunities for for big points. Right, USC probably the the big pointer. Yes, some other good teams, but big points not so much. So. So that was, yeah, as you said, I think you said well, avoided of uh, definitely avoided disaster there. But yeah, with Nishesh back, there's just too much talent on this team to to not be able to to you know handle, obviously handle someone like uh Florida with playing with six new guys in the roster. Uh, but to even be where they are now, they should be better.
0: Yeah, no, and again, will they go with Chaudhry? Will they go with uh, Rajesh? Will they go with Kolazinski? I think Chaudhry solidified himself, but who will be in that sixth spot? I think that's the big question, certainly, for Stanford moving forward. Let's go to the SEC side of things. The question I've received from a lot of people in my college tennis circles of late is, what do we make of this of these two teams in particular, Georgia and Florida? And let's start with Georgia. Because I do think they're probably the more notable storyline, particularly given Ethan Quinn, who has this undefeated fall. Now, look, again, who are his actual losses to? He lost to Arthur Ferry, arguably one of the five best players in the country. ACC of Florida State, arguably one of the five best players in the country. Elliot Spaziri, currently ranked number one in the country. Again, though – it's been a couple tough breaks for him, right? He he drops matches to Dostanik. That's another top five player in the country. He hasn't gotten one of those big signature victories in dual match play. And look, I mean, this Georgia team, you could argue the only two players who are playing well right now in their lineup are Trent Bryant and Blake Kreuter at the four and five spots. And yet, you know, again, Georgia got to the national indoors. They're going to get those reps to play three good, if not four good teams. Certainly uh, have a full SEC season to work things through, but Man, I, I think we both all entered the year thinking, does Georgia have tier one upside? And you certainly can't say that after the first month.
1: No, I'm not so concerned. And I'm not so concerned over the the slow January and dual match. And I say that because they played some hidden duels in there as well, even in January, but the slow hit January hidden uh, or January and dual match start to the year for Ethan Quinn like you said, the losses aren't they're not horrible losses. It's That's just what that, I'm saying
0: Dostinic, ACC, like Spaziri, you're like yeah. welcome to and Ferry, welcome
1: to college tennis. Yeah, there's there's nothing wrong with those losses. It's just crazy. Yeah, it's just that if you, if you are a top five guy, you don't expect to lose all of them. Right. You, you want to, you at least think you're going to go 500 and he didn't. And, you know, but, but at the same time, right. If I flip a coin four times, the odds of losing all four is one in 16, maybe it happens. I mean, you know, I don't know. So it, I'm not so concerned there. It's not bad. Where I am concerned is Teddy Hughes has not done anything yeah. and there's no way he's staying at. Th- I, I'd be shocked. I, well, Not only will I, I'll I'll be shocked if they submit it. And if they submit it, it has a 0% chance of standing. There's not a chance in the world he's at three for indoors. Trent Bride has to be moved up to three at this point.
0: I love him, and that's why I feel comfortable saying his name, because I love him. I'd say this to his face. He's always on top of every small detail. Bruce Burke has already challenged Theodore Yuska at three. Like, not <laughs> yeah. a chance in hell. And by the way, on behalf of everyone, because not a chance in hell. And let's be clear. Yuska's played better, right? He goes the three sets with with Merrick, even though he gets bageled in the third. That was a step forward for Yuska. Now, outside of that, though, three and four loss to a Banerjee who had struggled of late, A uh, you know, tough weekend against Louisville. What did he drop that match? Zero and one, oh, and two, whatever. Yeah. It was it like, zero and it. one,
1: but done it. Yeah.
0: Yeah. And look, Yuska is really solid at Clemson. He has that tennis in him. I agree. Like Bryden Kreuter and Bride in particular is starting to just play well again. Bryden, a good win over Chaudry. He was a good win over Fry as well. Like he's not quite fully back, but he's a lot closer than he was last year. I think he's, his game is just straight up ready for the number three spot. I also think Kreuter's ready for four. And so exactly. You just can't, while you, you can't, can't do it to- in one match,
1: but I fully expect to see over the course of say two matches or, a, or, a, you know, or more, but, but yes, I, I think that's the best version of a lineup for them. I think they move right up to three slide, slide Teddy down to four, then another match or two later, they bring Kreuter up to four and slide Teddy down to five.
0: Or Yuska starts winning at four and you're like, never mind. We're good. Yeah. We got it. Like, that's what I'm saying. It's like you start there and you figure it out. I agree with you. I actually don't mind these uh, these Georgia doubles teams. Like, I think Bright and Quinn are pretty solid at one. Huska, Henning, Kreuter, Johnston, like, they play Georgia doubles. They're pretty solid across the board. They're going to be competitive against anyone, even the elite of the elite competition there. It's tough. Like, again, I, I don't think that, uh, by the way, Pulse, who they played against USC, and I think they played Perez Pena against Stanford, like, they're solid. Um, They're still trying to figure out who that six is. I mean, yeah, like, it It was just an interesting, you know, again, here's the most fascinating question, Chris. West Off, uh, you know what? I was going to swear. Well, you know what? I'm feeling loose. This is how you know I'm loose and I'm ready. And I'm trying to get them all out now because I'm not gonna swear once during the course of this kickoff weekend. Who the f- favorite in the SEC right now? Like
1: that's there's my zero, question. there's zero question. There's zero question to no, that answer.
0: You're gonna say Kentucky and not Absolutely. South Carolina.
1: It's it's Kentucky. Not you don't think South Carolina gets a shout out there now? Uh oh, they're they're in the conversation again. You know, we had a tier where we actually had a top three that left uh, that was, you know, that was where South Carolina may not have been there, but but Tennessee's kind of fallen down. South Carolina is absolutely there. They I don't I'm, I'm not sold that the horses are quite there to run with the big horses they've got at Kentucky and the depth on the Kentucky roster to me still needs to be proven at South Carolina that addition of Jaden weeks for Kentucky was absolutely huge I just think that's it, it there there's a little more depth and it's going to be and and with Coznet as well it's going to be tough to match they are the clear favorite South Carolina right now is right there in my mind South Carolina Georgia battling for the two spot Tennessee we're just waiting to come around uh and sitting in four right now.
0: Yeah, see, I like think it's just a big glob of five. Like, I know Kentucky beat Virginia. We're going to get there, folks, I promise. But, like, I'm still not sold on their depth. Like, I'm not sold on every option. Like, is body really going to be the lock of locks at four that he might need to be? It's still too early to say that. Like, I still don't know what their doubles pairings are going to be either. And so, like, I'm not sold on them. Like, I I think South Carolina can beat them on the right day. I think Tennessee, if they get their act together, can beat them on the right day. I think this Georgia team, again, if they get their act together, they're going to play anyone competitively. And then you throw into the mix Florida here now, too. But like, Florida's just good. I don't know how else to say it. They're not great. They're not Ben Shelton era. They're not even 2019 Crawford era. 2018, 17, the Kessler and Elliott Orkin era. But they're around there like yeah, actually that Oregon team in 17 feels about right for this group where it's like, look, you have your Axel uh, who's the, you know going to just do battle at that number one spot. And then they got a bunch of guys like Grant, Benetto, Greif, Braswell's played really well so th- far through his freshman season. Now, again, they've got like six players. who You'd feel really great if they were at your three or four single spots, um, but like that's a good team like they I wasn't sure if they' were going to be in the tier two seven to sixteen conversation they firmly are
1: they are but I I'll tell you what, they Axel's gotta step up uh I mean there's there's a clear path for them right now look the the positive you know looking on the bright side for them is all these years they had all the singles guys they didn't even care about doubles because they had they could win four singles matches against anybody. Well, now the 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 you know the tides have flipped, and they're actually playing good doubles, which they need. But yes, they're at the top, especially without Axel. The two spot's going to be a weak spot for them. No matter no matter who. Much like we talked about the Baylor one spot, the two spot for Florida is going to kind of be in that boat. Four and six, they've looked great. I mean, Braswell has been outstanding. That's why four looks good. Braswell's great. Whoever they whoever they can throw in at six, right now it's been Tokac. They've got the one of the new the the one of the Polish kids that they're giving a look at too. Finally getting to play, they look good there. Bonetto against the you know on the right day holds his own at three. I know he had a couple of rough matches, but boy, two and five, Greif is not you know. Grife looks like a shadow of the freshman grife that we saw right now. That's not been a good spot. Two's not been a good spot. You know, they're and and Axel's not winning. So it's, you know, they're looking at doubles three, four, and six as almost the only path right now. You're not going to win matches against good teams if you have one path. So something's got to give there. But no, they they've got they've got talent, they've got depth. Orlikowski now getting healthy. I expect to see him play. Uh, and and get into that lineup on a consistent basis. And, you know, maybe that mixes things up. If, if Greif doesn't come around, maybe it's Tokach moves up or Lukowski's in and Greif's out. And I think that would be more solid, given the way things are looking right now.
0: Very well said. Well, you know, again, sticking in this SEC theme, I'm going to pull an audible on you. Let's get to that Kentucky match now. Kentucky goes on the road to Charlottesville, rematch of the NCAA championship. They beat Virginia. On the road, obviously a phenomenal 4-3 win for the fifth ranked at the time Wildcats. And look, here's the disclaimer. No Rodesh, no Boxer, no Draxel. That said, what do you take away from this match, uh, Chris, for Kentucky?
1: Yeah, I mean, the, the the Draxel, Rodesh, whatever, right? You sweat, you, you missed two ones. What, what it does do is bring in a couple guys at six that weren't going to play so that, you know... Y- the it's a wash at the one spot, but now you don't know if it would have been the same, you know, swapping that, that result, but, ah, uh, yeah, no botzer. Hmm. I still think it's a, it's, it's a fair match. What I liked, at least from this perspective for Kentucky. And the reason that that, and it helps me solidify my thought and they are the clear favorite is look it, it ended up coming down to body and gets right in a tiebreaker in the third set. But body was up to it. And even had he lost it, he's right there with gets. I don't think you have issues saying gets is a top notch four, but you, so I, am not sure how you question body. Uh, and body is a guy that seems to play. uh, He will play the level of his competition. He plays a guy that maybe isn't quite as good. He's going to play with him. He plays a guy that's a little bit better. Like he's done in some challengers. He's going to play with him. He's always going to be there. Uh, and yeah, we already know about the top three. They're really good. You got body at four. Weeks <laughs> has looked good at five. He's again, he just came in January. He's getting into the college thing. He gets a win over Dahlberg. Obviously, not the guy probably he would have been playing it had Botzer been in the lineup, but nonetheless, he gets his win. And Cosnett at six beats Kiefer. And we know Kiefer's good. Uh, so I have yeah, I've got no qualm. I have far fewer questions now about five and six for Kentucky than I do for some of these other schools in the SEC, including South Carolina, including Georgia, right, including Tennessee. Every one of those schools I mentioned, I have way more questions about what's going on at five and six than I do at Kentucky.
0: To your point, if you're the Virginia fan saying, yeah, well, we didn't have everyone. It's like, yeah, but you still won six. Like Doug Yaffa went out and got a three-set win. Over to exactly. Mercer. And like, again, the big three for Virginia, Rodesh, Montez, Von der Schulenberg. Yes, Rodesh wasn't there, but Montez and Von der Schulenberg did their jobs at the top two spots. Credit to each of them. And we know both of them can play anywhere in that top three. That's what makes this Virginia team so dangerous. Here's the real kicker. Bar and Rodesh, Bar, Batser and Rodesh, sorry, Bar. We know them well here at Crack Rackets. It's been a couple of years. Um, Botzer and Rodesh are the number one doubles team. And I know they had Botzer in doubles here today, but, you know, without Rodesh, it screws up everything, right? Dahlberg jumps in, Kiefer jumps in, all the all the different pairings in chemistry you had had, just a little bit different. I think that's where they feel the Rodesh absence most. Not to say that Kentucky, by the way, who was out Draxel, didn't have to make some adjustments. Um, I think that's the flip side, is if you're UVA, like T-Swift, you shake this loss off. You're like, yeah. It's fine. We we did this last year. We've been there before. Not an issue. If you're Kentucky, to your point, that's what you're taking away. You're not taking away anything from the Virginia loss side of things. It's the fact that Jaden Weeks, in his first serious road match on the job, goes out and gets a three-set win from a set down. Charlie Cosnett, first serious road match on the job. You know He gets a straight-set victory over a very good player in Kiefer at that number five spot. Now, again – it's a reminder that this Kentucky team without Diallo, like it's a little thinner than it would have been had they had all those options at the top three. And they're going to need weeks and Cosnet to contribute immediately. If this team wants to retain its spot at the top of college tennis, but in the first serious test of the season, both freshmen do so. And right. Like that's the takeaway. As we look at the Virginia side, I I, I don't like Montez von der Schulenberg did their job. You have a piece in Yaffa, like, Oh no, Dahlberg lost a three-set match. Like he is also a freshman. You're not crying about that. Like I don't think you're concerned if you're UVA. I think it's only glass half full if you're Kentucky.
1: Yeah, I, I think even in, regardless of how that breaker finished with Body and Gets, yeah. right? Body wins it. Had Gets won it. I still, th- obviously both teams wanted to win the match, but taking away the 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 actual result of the, that one single match, looking big picture, I don't think either team's walking out of this match feeling bad. Kentucky goes, men, the guys that we needed to be able to prove themselves and get confidence in our freshmen in weeks and Cosnett did so. UVA is going, our big guys, Montez and Von der Schulenberg, did their business that tell us, hey, we could, you know, You if Rodesh is in there and we and we get that one, we've got we've got those doubles eh, kind of throw it out because we subbed body in for Draxel with Iani at one. We didn't have Rodesh at all. It was just a mishmash in doubles. I don't even know what to make of the dubs point. So let's look at the singles and both teams come away feeling pretty good about what they did. That's perfectly put.
0: Doubles was going to be weird given the absences you three all singles. You guys are on the level. That's the takeaway heading into indoors. And obviously we saw this Virginia team who loses five of their first 10 matches and then doesn't lose the rest of the season last year. So, uh, yeah, uh, again, 4-3 Kentucky, big win. Just a con- it's huge for Cedric, huge for uh, Matt Gordon, huge for this program. It's just they belong. They are where they should be, uh, and this is a confirmation of that. If you go on the road in Charlottesville, get a victory there. Obviously, one of the toughest places to play, but probably the toughest places to play. Uh, toughest place to play in college tennis is the place I want to turn to next. Stop me if you've heard me before this before. Ohio State—they've decided to flex their muscles, and oh my god, what they did to Texas on Sunday in some countries is illegal. Like just downright. Destruction. And, you know, for this Buckeyes team, 7 0 win over AM, you know, they cruise against Texas in a 4 2 4 0 victory that was over in about an hour 45 minutes. And they did that without Cannon Kingsley, who, by the way, was absent today in Ohio State's 4 2 at clinch, 4 3 overall victory on the road at Wake Forest, something we didn't get to see this Buckeye team do much of last season go on the road prior to the indoors. But I mean, Chris, they dropped the doubles point at Wake Forest. That to me is like the most shocking part because up and down the lineup, like when this team is healthy, Luchanek and Trotter at one, good luck breaking those serves. I'll take Robert Cash and you, let alone Robert Cash and Justin Boulay at the number two doubles spot against anyone. Tracy and Kingsley have lost like two matches together in their career at number three, the depth, the experience. The fact that Robert Cash has two knees again and is just beating everyone 0 and oh, or like 2-2 uh, in the five and six single spots thus far. And it's just like – it's also the leadership. Like I'll go to war with Rob. I think if you took out – if you said to any coach in the country you're not allowed to have any number one singles player in the country, pick someone on your from any other roster, I think Cash would be on the short list. What he does in doubles, what he can do at the bottom of your singles lineup. What he does from a chemistry standpoint, that guy is just tough as nail. Like, I want to go to battle with Robert Cash on my side. And then you've got Luchonic, who just like you need that guy in your team who everyone loves, who's the goofball, who also just has that unbridled energy. He's got that. You've got, you know, again, like Tracy. Kingsley Trotter Boulay who have all been through the ringer. And then you got the puppy dog eyes in Alex Bernard in like Jack Anthrop to give you that little fresh sense of energy that every team needs as well. Like Ohio State's had some good teams over the years. And I know this is the second week I'm doing this in a row, but like I watched them play and this is the best version of Ohio State I've ever seen.
1: Yeah, I mean, yeah. And, and look, we still haven't seen, we're going to, it's never going to stop we're going to have this conversation every year it's indoors what happens when we go outdoors but i'm going to say and we're not playing jack anthrop and i think when we play outdoors we're going to play jack anthrop and i think this team's better suited than many of the past teams have been to play you know to make that that run outdoors but yeah they look they always look good at home the indoors they look they look good now on the road to your point they drop doubles yeah no kingsley so you can't play the kingsley tracy uh you know the lineup but that that was probably the only part of tonight's match that i that i looked at and went wow i mean other than i mean karamov put a beating on bernard but Whatever you can lose a singles match, you it's have a terrible, to, it's a
0: terrible indoor matchup. Karamov playing big, Bernard likes to move the ball around, you know, be physical. That's a tough matchup for the freshman.
1: yeah. I mean, honestly, it's the, and, and you know, I'll chalk that up to a, a one time doubles thing, right? I mean, that we know how good they are in doubles, and and you take on the road at, at, at wake, and you take uh, you know, take you take Cannon out. Oh, fine. I, I'll chalk that one up. And yeah, they just they do their thing in singles. They look absolutely outstanding. I mean, you know, again, between we're only a week away from indoors. Ohio State and and TCU have to be a couple of the big big favorites for indoors. Uh, you um, know, and not discounting the fact that Michigan's going to be really good indoors. USC doesn't necessarily play indoors, but they've done, you know, they have obviously played really well indoors in the past. It's just going to be, and then, you know, Kentucky and Virginia, both indoors. It's going to be an all-out battle. There is going to, it's four, three is the number in Chicago. It's going to be really fun.
0: And again, I mean, let's look at the flip side for this Texas team. They just got crushed. Like, I don't know how else to say it. Ohio State took six first sets and, you know, again, Trotter one and four over Waldie. If we're getting that trotter, good luck to any other team at the indoors. You know, Cash, 0-0 over Chi-Chi Huang. Not like 2-2, two and two, Chris. 0-0. Very rare. You see a double bagel. In As college, I like Tennessee. to
1: say, Gruskin, I could have done that. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. It's just like – and again – Boulet's up
0: at one on Spazieri Tracy's up at ba- uh, on Bailey and Tracy and Melio Stoffel play a really fun three set match today. Tracy ended up at the number one spot. I think Boulet ended up clinching at two for the team, you know, sans Kingsley. Like that's the thing They're sans Kingsley. And they still have options because even if you don't feel like they have the rock of rocks that Kingsley is, and he's proven to be all American, he is one of the guys in the guy conversation. It doesn't matter. Cause like, on the right day, Boulay, Boulay or Tracy are going to look fine at that number one spot, and they just have options everywhere on this roster. So, again, credit to the Buckeyes. What's your thoughts on Texas coming out of this one? Does it does it change your perspective at all? And a And M, I suppose, too.
1: Both Texas teams. It's look. It, it's tough to knock them too much. You want to, but look, we saw the same thing happen to Kentucky last year. Who makes? you know the, the NCAA finals against Virginia they went into into Ohio State early in the year on the road and got absolutely blitzed 4-0 in a heartbeat right uh you see it happen same thing here and 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 you said it i mean they were absolutely blitzed they between the three singles matches and the two doubles matches that completed the five completed matches they lost 15 games five matches they lost 15 games Nuts. I mean, that's ridiculous. Yeah. They're just, they're, they're that good. Uh So I, I don't know. I don't expect, look, I don't expect Texas to be a big indoor team. I didn't expect A&M obviously to be a big indoor team. I'm not going to put a ton of stock into, into one butt whooping. Uh, I think Texas will be fine. I don't expect them to be challenging at indoors uh, just because I don't, that's not, that's not their game, but long-term big picture for them. No, I'm not concerned. I don't, I don't really think they're probably, we, we still need to me deep has got to be the, the, the Waldieb we saw, you know, two years ago uh, before, you know, before any injuries for them to be a, a real challenge, it's going to, it's, it's going to be tough for them. They're on the outskirts of trying to be one of those tier one teams that's the question: Is does does this result want to say make you change your mind and knock them out of that conversation? No, I'm not going to let one match do that. I'll let I'll I'll wait for indoors and 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 see what they look
0: like. I agree with you. Last cursing I'll do on this show. What the fuck do we do with Wake Forest? Like, is this Tony Bresky's best coaching job of his career? Some scholars are arguing yes, Chris, because they're ten and one. I don't think I could name a single players like what year they are on the roster. I know who the guys are, but like you could tell me they're all sophomores. You could tell me they're all seniors. I would believe you no matter what. Like they take doubles over Ohio State today, huh? And like they've already beaten Auburn solidly. Middle Tennessee solidly. Tennessee fairly comfortably, but still a good win for them. They play Ohio State 4-3 like. Fucking Tony, man! I just like this is his best coaching job. Chris, where are you with this Wake team?
1: Yeah, I actually come away from this match questioning my outlook on them because I, I, my outlook all along has been like twelve, like they're like a twelve to fifteen team. Yeah, that they've got, they've got. I'll call, I'll say they've got four horses, but the problem is they don't really have a one. So those four guys to me are kind of what you're hoping is that those four guys can get you wins at two, three and four, and someone's getting sacrificed at one for the most part. I mean, yes, you're going to pick up a win here and there, but play in top. Teams. I'll go to war with Melio set one. Cause I know it's going to take you two hours to beat them. Yeah. Yeah. I, well, exactly. And it, it's, it's going to be, it's going to be a tough one, but I don't like my, I don't like my odds against the top teams of having to win there, but I've been sort of eh, on five and six. And yes, they do lose five and six today, you know, in a 4-3 match. And to Cash and Lichonig, uh, I mean, obviously, we just talked about Cash, which, you know, not necessarily the five and six that you're going to see, say, out of a TCU. But they were both, you know, four and six, two and five. I mean, both obviously, both matches in the second set that they lost were, were at five all. They're playing better than I thought they were going to. To your point, yeah. I think it, it is probably, you know, the best coaching job, given they're 10 and one with definitely the least amount of, you know, least amount of talent they've in past years been having guys like, you know, Kungu and Banthea and, mm-hmm. and, and whoever, you know, any number of other guys that were playing at seven or eight and not even making the lineup that were, you know, that had ATP points and far, you know, above on the talent scale what they have now and yet they seem to be doing better yeah no i mean they're everything i thought texas a&m
0: might be truth be told like if i'm gonna say because like it's just like pieces more than the you know some of the parts and and That's a credit to the culture Coach Bruschi has built at Wake Forest. And again, if this team finishes top 10, I know he won national indoors and the NCAAs in 2018. But this will be the best coaching performance of his career if he extracts that out of this group. With that said, let's move on to some other things. I got two more storylines for you. Then I'll let you take us away. Michigan remains undefeated. They go on the road. Big win over Baylor. They come back. They get pushed against Harvard. Ultimately, though, the team manages to survive that battle as well. Now they've got NC State and USC one road, one home coming up this weekend.
1: Where are you with the Wolverines? I mean, yeah i i i i still I still like them. I was a little concerned, I'll say, with the Harvard match. Just I mean, look, and we didn't even have. Uh, you know, Henry von der Schulenberg for, for Harvard in that match. Right. So a little concerning, maybe it's also a little tough coming off the big uh, road win over Baylor. So uh, they, and which, in which they played great, they did what they needed to do, which is what you expect out of a good team. If you get put, you can't always just roll everybody four one four zero 0 when you get pushed, you know, you come up and they drop, you know, they drop doubles and they made a good push in singles and they did what they had to do. I would like to see it not be so easy, but Hey, it's one match. I'm still, yeah, I'm still, still all in on this Michigan team and I don't see that changing anytime soon just because maybe not to the extent that we always talk about it with, with Ohio state, but they play the the you know the bulk of their season indoors. They they should be good indoors. I expect to see them perform well, you know, up from now until indoors, and then at indoors. I don't see that outlook changing anytime soon. Here's the thing: Michigan's without
0: Nino Aaron and the lefty would be playing in their doubles lineup. He's been top ten with Andrew Fenty in the past. Look, we've. Michigan's lost, uh, it slipped out, get it out now. Michigan's lost uh, two, you know, they should have lost two doubles points, I should have said. They should have lost that doubles point to Northwestern. Atan Spear makes that volley 95 out of 100 times. Um, They lose the doubles point to Harvard. I think they've competed really well, especially, like, I feel really good about Fenty Young. They will be the team probably throughout the course of the year. I like Bickersteth Cooksey. I like Maloney Styler. I'm willing to play like play around if I'm Michigan head coach, Adam Steinberg, that just tr- maybe you try some different pairings, and I don't think they're going to have Nino for the national indoors. So it will be interesting to see if they stay steady or if they try something maybe different this weekend, uh, because again, they've been okay in doubles. They haven't been excellent. Look, this was a huge opportunity for both Cooksey and Bjorn to maybe try and like stick their feet in the ground and say, this singles position is mine. Now, neither yeah. of them have firmly taken it. And Who- that's why the window's still open for Nino. Who's leading there. Like, Yeah, exactly. Well, they're both – yeah, they've both been fine. Exactly. Like, not – neither has been exceptional. It continues to be a platoon system. Fenty, Styler, Maloney, you feel good about any of them in the top three. Maybe right now the leading candidate of most improved player to make that leap as a sophomore might be Gavin Young at that four spot who might have been – he might be the best player in Michigan's lineup so far uh, in this season, like relative to position. And then look, like – Bickerstaff has gone three sets in matches. He's not losing bad matches. Like he lost to Veltz. I think Veltz is the best player in Baylor's lineup, and so I don't view that as a bad loss. Like to your point, this Michigan team isn't the best version of themselves yet, and they're still pretty darn good. And so that would be my takeaway. like you're absolutely right. Good ways. Good teams find ways to win when they're not playing their best. Michigan had to play much better on the road at Baylor. They did that, and then they didn't play their best at home against Harvard, yet they still get out of the match after dropping doubles with a victory. To your point, that is what good teams do. Speaking of good teams, the other one I had a note on on the men's side here this weekend. How about Arizona? Win over San Diego, win over Pepperdine. Again, we talk about this Pac-12 needing to get some victories. Well, you know, again, Pepperdine and San Diego are two top 30, top 25 teams, and Arizona beats both of them fairly comfortably. Like, I'm not sold on Stanford yet. I think USC is the clear-cut number one right now in the Pac-12. I think if you're Arizona, obviously, they can talk themselves into winning a, a conference title this year. They've played that USC team so close these past two seasons, and it really is the same group. But, like let's not sleep on the Wildcats who are what 15 months removed from being a preseason top 10 team for us and a lot of those guys are back I kind of like this Arizona squad I think they're best in this role scrappy insurgent
1: yeah they' like you said they've got a lot of the same pieces a, a couple good wins I'm with I'm not I'm not sold yet I mean what I do like is the fact that you can play Gustav Strom down at three now I mean, now you're playing Zverev at one, Colton Smith at two. Uh, and you know, Smith has got the bigger game. Strom just gonna, you know, he's gonna grind you all day. Uh, uh, I just, I, I like that. I don't know. I don't know enough about what they're gonna get out of Lagayev, Friend at, at four, you know, and and Bello at the bottom. I I don't know what that lineup's really gonna do for them at the bottom. That's my concern. I think they're going to be five, those those top three guys are going to be good to go anywhere, except boy, a couple of those matches. You know, I good luck with Steph and Murphy uh at mm-hmm. one sure. in the Pac-12. But but beyond that, yeah, they can battle. I still just see them as the next tier. I don't think they're battling well, for the Pac-12 title. I, I let just me don't.
0: ask you this: Wake Forest, Arizona, neutral court. Who are you picking?
1: Wake Forest.
0: Yeah, I think I agree with you, but I'm not sure. Like, I'm really not. Again, if you're in this Arizona team tier two, like host the first two rounds of the NCAAs. That's the, that's like the five, best Yeah, five, six.
1: First. I just, I, to me, that's a coin toss. So let's just split them. Cause I have no idea what's going on. Probably Lopez wins, but Thompson loses. So Arizona gets, you know, five, it's, well, Who depending on who's where. I'll take Tachi at four for sure. Okay. But then the top three, like Strom, Zverev,
0: and and uh, and Smith, can go in there and get two out of three victories.
1: Yeah, ex- exactly. They they could, and the unknown to me goes okay between those and doubles are the and is, doubles. Is I'll go, go okay. They split one. two two, yeah. and I've given yeah. two to Wake Forest. It's a four three Wake Forest win. But With, to yeah. my point, it's
0: it's a very good match. It really is, and yep. so. Yeah, Arizona's just in that tier. They're another team you just throw in the mix where you're like, oh, my God, we have to play. Like, can you imagine if Arizona is not a top 16 seed and that's who you're playing in the second round of the NCAAs? You'll be like, you have got to be kidding me. Um, So, again, those are my biggest results. So those are the storylines I saw, Chris. Am I missing anything? Maybe it's a team on the NCAA fringes. Maybe it's a team like Duke who we will always have our eye on who splits the weekend with Northwestern and Illinois. Like any
1: other storylines pop out to you? Yeah, that was going to be the first one I was going to bring up is, man, we wanted to be, you know, even the show before last all in on this is the year for Duke. They didn't look, you know, the greatest at, at kickoff. And then again this weekend, the 4-3, Yeah, Illinois is a match you just you you have to win that match. Uh, but then the 4-3 loss to Northwestern, it, you can't say it's a bad loss. But at the same time, being where they want to be, it's another match that you just need to win. So, yeah, I don't, I don't feel great uh, about that. I will, uh, of course, I give a shout out to my Mississippi State Bulldogs making the top twenty-five this week, um, keeping their their season going with the only loss being to, in, to Florida. But no, I think we've pretty much, uh, uh, pretty much covered the rest of the big ones. And I like it, and we did it all in seventy minutes as well. Well, then let's get.
0: To that top 10, Chris, that much anticipated you've been waiting for unveiling of our Crack Rackets top 10. Shout out to the CR voters. You know who you are currently right now. This is what our top 10 now looks like. You have Ohio State. At the number one spot, TCU at two, Kentucky-Michigan tied for three. Super producer Daniel Westhoff, I'm asking moving forward, we go back to the 2022 system. You break those ties moving forward for us. And I'll tell you what, those are two programs equally reprehensible in the mind of Louisville fan Daniel Westhoff because he lives with a guy who went to Michigan and Kentucky's Kentucky to him. So he might just have USC jump both of those schools to number three, but we go again, Ohio State, TCU, Kentucky, Michigan, USC. That's the top five, Virginia, six, Texas, seven. You have a tie South Carolina, Wake Forest at eight, a tie. Interesting between UNC and Baylor at 10. I mean, a lot of cop-outs this week is what I'm noticing. We're go- well, I promise we're going to get back to the tie break system, but Chris, we have 11 teams in our top 10. Your reaction?
1: Yeah, well, I think the uh, – yeah, and uh, I'll be honest,
0: I oh, actually – Oh, correction. Michigan is four, not three. Yeah, Michigan is four. Westoff West we said
1: he was fixing that. Yeah, the UNC-Baylor thing, I, they were I, – I had told you I had personally put UNC-10. I sort of cheated to some extent, thinking even though they were at home, I was expecting a TCU win, and even though it hadn't been played yet – I kind of figured, well, Baylor's going to drop a match and that's, you know, in in arrears, I'll go, yep, I'll give that nod to UNC. But no, I don't. I think this is I mean, this is pretty much spot on. I don't have mine up in front of me. It, it feels to me to be like really, really close to what I had. I have I have no qualms with, with any of this.
0: Well, you already said you put UNC at the 10 spot. I put Baylor, for what it's worth, four voters. It was a 2-2 split. Two of us had Baylor. Two of us had UNC. Um, Yeah, all all 11 teams that received votes are on your screen. Again, it was that tight for us in those bottom bottom ends of the rankings – for what it's worth, and this is how we can beautifully segue towards the week ahead, we'll know who the number eight team in the country is after this weekend, as South Carolina is going to take on Wake Forest here this weekend on Sunday. And again, here's our top ten. Let us know where you agree, where you disagree, where you think all of the top schools should be right now. But let's look at the week ahead, Chris, to wrap today's show, because, yes, the women take center stage, but there's plenty of fun battles on the horizon. The aforementioned Arizona team, they're going to be at Baylor here on Friday, you've got just your Friday slate, Kentucky at Louisville, uh, Michigan at NC State, Pepperdine at Texas. Those are your, I suppose, marquee matchups on the day. Saturday, you've got Ohio State traveling to Virginia, Tennessee now, a very tricky match. As they'll travel to Columbia on Saturday, Sunday, Duke at Kentucky, Texas at Arizona, South Carolina, Wake Forest, Pepperdine. At, oh, no, TCU was actually postponed um look mississippi state at florida state you were going to yell at me if i didn't mention that then monday usc at michigan tuesday baylor at ohio state you're getting all the pre national indoor warm-up matches underway chris and so i ask you over the course of the next week what stands out the most
1: i t- well i love the south carolina wake matchup I'm very intrigued. Uh, again, we get another te- We are, we've already talked about how we see Texas, Arizona. Uh, it seems like we get another matchup there, but I mean, the marquee matchup has to be anytime you're going to see Ohio state, Virginia uh, on that. I mean, uh, that Saturday match, Ohio state at Virginia. So th- this to me is a big test. I would hope by this point that Rodesh will be back Um I'm, I'm assuming that'll be the case. I, I, that was, I pre, presumably Davis cup related. Right. Uh, so, so I would, I would assume he'll be back. It's a road match for Ohio state. So they got the road match here at Wake. Now they're going to get another road match at Virginia. Uh, I think that's, that's a big one to me. Of course, Westoff's going to be very, very pumped for his Louisville Cardinal to be faced, Cardinals to be ho- hosting Kentucky this weekend. I don't think it's going to work out so well for West off, but that's a, that's a big Friday match. One that I might even have to pop down to tomorrow. I don't know. We'll see. I, I like that for the record. Again,
0: people say Michigan, this Michigan, that with me, my childhood childhood, my teenage years was Ohio state versus Virginia. Like I promise you no one has a better respect or understanding of what that matchup means in college tennis than I do. And just a reminder for you listeners, I mean, 2011 NCAA semifinals, one of the better matches you will see Ohio State takes the doubles point. And then watching what Alex Damajan did to Chase Buchanan on that day is something just I will never, never forget. Uh, Of course, 2012, what happens? National indoors, Ohio State goes, uh, where was that 2012? Yeah, that was 2012. Ohio State goes and beats Virginia. In Charlottesville, Peter Cobalt gets a win over Mitchell Frank, Blazrola, over Jarmier Jenkins and Blazrola that year. I think 2013 Blazrola is the single most underrated and underappreciated college tennis season we have seen in the last decade. Um Like these two teams played all the time. Who did Ohio state beat on the way to their first national indoor title in 2014? They beat Virginia. Who has Ohio? uh, Who did Virginia beat in the final of the 2017 national indoor championships? Their last national indoor title in program history. They beat Mikhail Torpegard and the Ohio state Buckeyes. When these two teams play, sorry, West off last one shit happens. And so like, Lock in. You're right. This is blue blood versus blue blood. This is one of the rivalries. If you are a college tennis diehard, you know what this one means to the sport. Yeah, that's your match of the week. Of course it is. Like, how could it not be? And Buckeyes on the road. It's what we want to see. Are they as good as they have appeared to be through this first five weeks? Like, They go to Virginia, get a win. The answer is unequivocally yes. So I think that's the one to get hyped for. But you know what you should really get hyped for, Chris? Actually, let's look at the top 25 rankings quickly or the ITA rankings available because I know Westhoff has them. And just for what it's worth, how theirs differ from ours right now, you look at the ITA rankings and – You know, Ohio State, number one for both of us. I actually see all the same teams, right? Who's missing from their list that we had? You guys have UNC. They do not have UNC. They split the tie, South Carolina 8, Wake Forest 9. Like, yeah, we're pretty in sync with the coaches right now. It looks like it looks at the top of the men's game. But guess what? We don't have women's rankings this week, and that's what to watch for because that's what's going to be on the mind of college tennis fans everywhere. Division one Women's National Indoor Championships in Seattle will have coverage from first ball to last here on our Cracked Rackets YouTube channel starting Friday, 12 p.m. Eastern time. Before I let you go, Chris, A, any final thoughts? B, give me your national indoor final and champion predictions.
1: It's tough until we see the draw, right? Because you just don't know who's on which. No, 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 no. Women's, women's, oh, side. women's, women's side, women's, women's. First of all, my goodness. First match, North Carolina Pepperdine. That's a gift from the tennis gods. Did like, you miss us? Come on, that could be a final. I mean, <laughs> um, yeah i I don't know how I get. I, I hate just taking the top two. I don't know how you get away from a Texas North Carolina final. I it's the I'm I'll I'll stick with it. But holy cow, does North Carolina have a have a test right out of the gate against Pepperdine? I'll go Texas Carolina. I think we've we have all. I've looked at our women's votes. I think we've all been we we've flip flopped. We're not all unanimous. I will go with who I've been voting number one, and that's North Carolina. Interesting. So
0: he's going for four straight for the UNC Tar Heels. Um, Yeah, it's fascinating. My last comment to you, I guess, before we go, I showed up today at the Nordstrom Tennis Center with this on my face, and I'm referring to my facial hair for uh, podcast listeners who won't get to see this. But my beard is longer than it typically is, at least when I'm going out in public. I have two questions for Well, it's a two-part question on the same topic. Do I go cleanly shaven? Do I go goatee? And what do you think was the most – I mean, I'll just say that that part out loud. You should – Audra Cohen, who I saw because Oklahoma was practicing there, she goes, Alex, what, did you come out of the wilderness? <laughs> she's like, "She's like, I've never seen it. She's like, I didn't know you could grow that. And I was like, well, should I shave it? She goes, honestly, it's not bad. And so I ask you, Chris or do I leave it? Do I go goatee? Do I save the goatee for the men's event? What do I do here?
1: No, you absolutely don't. No, no, no goatee. You got to, you got to, you got to keep working that right there. I mean, you got a little filler on the sides and right below the center of the bottom lip that need to come fill in, but yeah, it's looking, no, I like it. Yeah. The problem is right under my neck where the Adam's
0: apple is, that's the part of the Nile river that split. So Moses and my people could cross into the promised land. Like that's the problem is I have that little Apache spot there. Um, yeah, you know what we call that? Uh, let's see how early I get up and how much time I have sort <laughs> yeah. of question. But with all that said, a massive thank you to you, Chris, for helping me obviously recap everything. A shout-out as well to our dear friends at LS and Swing Vision to learn more about each of our presenting sponsors. Just click on the links in the description to this podcast. A shout-out, of course, as always, to Super Producer Daniel Westoff, who I'm going to let get to go to bed because he's going to have some late nights ahead of him. A heck of an nice job to do day in, day out, as always, with all of that said for – The fantastic Chris Hallioris, our super producer, Daniel Westhoff, our friends at LS and Swing Vision from all of us here at both Cracked Rackets and the Tennis Channel Podcast Network. I'm your host, Alex Gruskin. Chris, what do we tell our listeners? Hey, great shot. You still pause as if Matt is going to join you. I love it. And as always, we will see all of you next time. Thanks, everyone.